0: Hello, everyone. I am Mark L. Vincent. I'm privileged to direct the Convene Consulting Network. I'm joined today by Michael Marks. Uh, We're a couple of uh, western mountain men today. I'm in Montana sitting in a car outside a diner as I drive west with some family members. They're out walking around the town and I get a chance to have this conversation. And Michael, I, I believe I've seen you in this spot before. This is your Mountain home in way up at elevation in Colorado. Am I correct?
1: Right. Yeah, we live in a log cabin in Colorado. And, and this wall where I have my books is the only solid wall behind me. So that's <laughs> where I kind of pick my spot for video recording.
0: <laughs> sure. sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: Michael, thank you for joining me for this conversation today, Uh, and for all of you who are listening, Michael uh, has so many broad interests and is good in so many respects. One of them is he spent a lot of time thinking about business and business ethics, and then also especially executive coaching and the ethics around coaching. And Michael, I want to start with those very broad interests, uh, people who get to know you know that you're a bit of a renaissance man there's so many interests that you've had and so many um, adventures you've had in life one of them is mountain living of course sled dogs uh, that your wife runs and your involvement with that Uh, now i live part of the time in wisconsin and i i know that you actually teach at concordia university just north of uh, milwaukee and mequon there and have been doing that for a while uh, and doing that from remote places Uh, you actually still work with people in Germany and you do that in German and you lived in Germany for a while. You've got a long connection to the International Mm -hmm. Coaching Federation. There's just so many things. But I have learned over the years that people like you do find that there are some threads in this, something that kind of runs through. Maybe it's the spirit of God. Maybe it's uh, uh, you know a marriage. Maybe it's some kind of combination of factors. But what are some of the common threads that have run through your life uh, that you would say, this is such a significant part of my life journey?
1: Yeah, that's... A fascinating question to always reflect on. And I think it's a good idea for all of us to reflect on those questions you just asked often. And, you know, the common thread certainly is God's leading because there have been so many events in my life where you just have no idea where this is going to go. But, you know, that's where God wants you to go and on the other hand there's a lot of times where it's like god you put me here and this is going nowhere as a matter of fact this is really looking very bad and (laughs) you said you'd provide so when are you going to do that because we're getting a little nervous here and sure enough he shows up and it's better than what we expected so Mm -hmm. that's one of the common threads here and um you know we have our kids we do a lot for them. In our case, we adopted two children from other countries. And, you know, that brought its own interesting dynamic into our lives. But uh, coming back to the United States, we, um, you know, established that I could work online, like you said, I'm, you know, totally internet dependent, but totally, you know, not dependent on anything, but a good internet connection. And what, was my wife's aspiration. So we built this uh, dog sledding business that she runs. And um, I often find myself, you know, thinking the expression you've probably heard, happy wife, happy life. Uh, so, you know, that's just been one of those axioms that drives um, the uh, the lifestyle that we've chosen.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I know that one of those areas that you've given a lot of time to and a lot of thought to, Michael, is, is, uh, for lack of a better phrase, I'll just say ethical behavior, being very ethical as one goes about mm. their career. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the areas I spend a lot of time with is helping people come to common definitional understanding. So a business leader might say, I'm really concerned about ethical behavior. And the person at the other end would say, I am too, but they don't have the same definitions that they're thinking about in that moment. So I'm hoping you can do a level set here and help us get to a little bit more of a common understanding of what ethical behavior is. What is a workable operating definition for being ethical as one leads a business? What what do they need to be familiar with here?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I talked to a sheriff about this recently, and he said ethical behavior is what you do when no one else is watching. And I love that definition. As a matter of fact, you know, that particular sheriff was under a lot of scrutiny for um, his integrity, his upholding of the integrity. So it it really meant that when he said, you know, uh, I've decided to do things that are right for my job that no one else is going to see, but actually might even get me into a little bit of trouble. So we're willing to take a certain amount of risk when we say ethical behavior. Um, First and foremost, what happens in good ethical behavior is respect. And that is a carryover to the other person in the situation, the other person persons the other businesses having a level of respect for how what you're doing is affecting them ethics is above the surface morals and education and culture is below the surface if you think of the iceberg analogy here we see your ethic this is what you do your morals are who you are and that you know definition from a friend of mine, Terry Belf, is who you are, let's take that B, and what you bring with you, what you have, B plus have equals behave. Who you are and what you have will determine how you behave. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that other-centric attitude is what usually will keep you out of almost all ethical mishaps. And quite you know, deliberately keep you on that straight and narrow that we're um, all hoping to be able to hear at the end of the day, right? Well done, good and faithful servant.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like the very practical construct that you've created uh, that brings um, ethics and morals together and becomes very actionable, very, very visible. Um, I, I know that um, uh, that this gets lived out in business, businesses that are very large uh, and have multiple, multiple decision makers involved in many layers uh, in the small practice that's out there. Uh, it's it's in play with people who are responsible for others and their training or their counseling. Uh, there's also these fields of professional coaching and life coaching that you've given a lot of time to. How does this model for understanding ethical behavior play out very specifically, very professionally, let's say?
1: Well, you know. In the practical aspect of things, there's three things you want to always avoid. Something that's illegal, immoral, or stupid. And
0: (laughs) That third category sounds very, very frank. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Now, illegal is uh, always a question also of definition, of interpretation. Uh, We have our professionals that we definitely want to depend on. Yet at the same point in time, I was talking to an ethical guru this morning. He said, My experience with my legal department was they were always limiting me from taking those risks that I needed to do as a businessman. Um, You know, let's just hedge our bets and not, you know, put too much liability on the table. Um, So in the end, there was nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, So there is a certain amount of, you know, that risk lovingness that we need to take as businessmen. But with that are the legal constraints. So being very deliberate in understanding what's going around. Immoral is, you know, as a Christian, um, one of the easier things to find resources for because we have the Bible. And when we come back to that as our moral standard, then everything seems to make sense. So, using those resources—your pastor, your prayer group, your buddies, your um, spiritual, you know, tribe around you, your church, perhaps even—to you know, use that as a, a forum. And we haven't convened, you know, our teams that we. Bounce things off of and say, "What do you guys think about that?" And part of the team aspect and convened is to say, "What does God say about that?" Now, that third category, stupid, that's kind of the uh, hard part here, where you know your ethics comes into um, that. Risk am I taking here? Is it uh, rational? Is it logical? Yes, but what is God saying in that? What is God leading me to do in that here? And I'm convinced. Like I said, uh, as part of my testimony here that when God has directed me to go to different places and go to different countries and try different ventures here, when he said that this is what it's going to be, then that's what it was. And there was no ethical dilemma. When I start tweaking it myself, then it becomes dangerously stupid. So we definitely need to look for those around us that will give us advice those around us that will pray for us and uphold us. And more than anything else, listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, in coaching, I tell my students, trust the process, trust the client, trust the Holy Spirit.
0: Wow. Wow. Michael, I'd like to move to a couple of questions here as we start to wrap this up around the CEO's perspective so someone who's responsible for a whole system whole organization Mm -hmm. Uh, you Mm -hmm. have done some work extensive work with the International Coaching Federation and they're they're certifying or credentialing programs all around the world saying you you meet the standards that what you're doing uh, helps us recognize that these would be core competencies for coaches. These, these folks are doing it well and with a desire to keep learning. So if I'm a CEO of a company and I learn from you that uh, your work has been to help the uh, International Coaching Federation land on some ethical standards uh, for coaching, Mm -hmm. like like doing it in a way that's of the highest order. uh, What are some of those aspects that I need to be aware of as I'm Oh, maybe thinking of getting somebody a coach or maybe choosing a coach myself or thinking about setting up some kind of a program. What are some of those ethical considerations specific to coaching that a CEO should be aware of?
1: Exactly. The integrity of the coach we regard at ICF as paramount. That means that they have a standard Um, Of course, they've signed off on our code of ethics, which we recently revised being even more behavioral oriented here. It's not a punitive thing. It's not a list of thou shalt nots, more a list of thou shalts and how to behave that there. So I would ask everyone buying coaching to sit down with the coach and say, what are you trying to achieve? And more than anything else, How are you going to regard confidentiality in the Mm. corporate setting here? I think that is where, you know, the greatest gain is for the clients when they can, in a place of trust, in a place of safety, unpack and let loose and talk about what troubles them uh, with the aspect of looking for solutions, not looking for therapy. That's another profession entirely, a good profession, but a different one. So we're looking at moving forward here, but we need trust people. And is the coach in front of you, or is the coaching group? Because we often hire a CEO's, you know, a group of coaches. Do they have that level of integrity where that confidentiality is sacrosanct, is paramount? Um, and you know, as a leader myself, I know I'm curious really about what's going on in those conversations, but I don't need to know my subordinate, the person that's getting the coaching, or even myself, we need that sacred space where we can open up, let loose, talk about what is going to happen in the future so that we can plan for the future and envision. And as the company goes, they don't need to know the results of that. Yeah, they need to know that the client is showing up and that they're you know participating in a respectable way but we don't necessarily need to know the content or even the results of the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. You raised something here. I want to ask you before I go to a, a last question. Uh, it just intrigues me. Um, so ethical standards are so often thought of as things that stand the test of time. You know, they, they're, they're anchored. And yet ICF, this international coaching federation has gone through a process of revising Uh, Ethical standards. So can you just Mm -hmm. reveal a little bit more of what that means to be attentive to ethical standards enough that you're revisiting them and revising them further?
1: Yeah, it's part of the structure of ICF to do that formally every three years. Uh, The last one was extensive. A thousand hours, man hours went into that revision. I was on the steering committee that drafted the final version. And what I think we see in the new code is certainly a um, great emphasis on the word I used earlier, respect, respect. And how that shows up culturally and how that shows up in our society. Uh, and, you know, looking for not only our members and credential holders to have that level of respect, but conveying that also to our clients. And with that comes also those confidential things that I mentioned here. And another huge aspect about the new code is you know, how to troubleshoot conflict, because that happens. And, you know, one of the things that we were able to write into the new code, straight out of Matthew 5, and straight out of Matthew 18, was go to the person first, talk to them individually. If that doesn't work, bring someone else in. If that doesn't work, bring in the council, in this case, the IRB, the Independent Review Board of ICF, And, you know, we'll all talk to them together. But the net result is that we come to a consensus on what is good behavior for all of us, and not necessarily a punitive action. Uh, Ethics is at its core, right behavior, not getting in trouble and -hmm. staying out of trouble.
0: Yeah. Thank you for taking the extra time to talk that through. I'm struck by the difference between someone who's somewhat transactional about this and like, I don't have to go through all this trouble. Just, just, I I know stuff. Let me, let me listen to you and help you, which might be useful and might not. And those who are pretty rigorous about their preparation uh, and wanting to uh, not just be able to have their own professional standards, but good coaches that I've met, they're pretty quick to refer to people they think can even be more helpful. Uh, and to be able to do right. that to people they know who have put the same kind of rigorousness into their preparation. I, I think that was really helpful. So thank you. Uh, there, there's one more mm-hmm. question I want to ask you here. And let's say now, again, that I'm the CEO and I'm thinking about um, the benefits of coaching. Maybe I've read some white paper that somebody wrote. And and it's just it's just a compelling argument that people who are taking time to reflect and think and plan forward and get across hurdles – are more effective, they're more resilient, they get more done, productivity goes up, and now okay we can't put this off any longer. We need to get some kind of coaching program going. Uh, so the question I'd have is some of the advice that you might have for a CEO who wants to do that. Things such as simple as do you bring that in-house and set it up there or do you, do you get an outside vendor who will do it. Uh, perhaps there's other considerations you would have in mind, but if I'm that CEO, I'm saying Michael, uh, what, are, what are the best practices for me here if I'm going to set up such a program? But what would you say to them?
1: Internal coaches, you know, that are raised up from within the company have a huge advantage that they understand the environment. Um, the conflict of interest potential is also pretty high because the internal coach, usually as per the code of conduct of the company, has to report if there's something that the code of conduct says, you must talk about like, you know, fraud or embezzlement or something like that. The external coach um, usually is, like I said, free to that here. So there's advantages and disadvantages for each. Um, A lot of coaches will come in with an assessment. Uh, I'm not particularly fond of any particular one assessment here, but what assessments do is they give everybody unified vocabulary. Everybody mm. talks about the same strengths or the same disc or the same Myers-Briggs. And there's a commonality of vocabulary, especially when you're working with multiple people. On the individual level, it really comes down to the uh, coach's ability and the client's ability to move forward. The client's ability to think, reflect, and come up with a plan from within themselves. Um You know, Jeremiah 25, 19, the the wise man draws it out of them. The coach draws it out. And the most effective coaching that we've seen here in the last years is the approach that allows the client to totally own the results. We say the coach manages the process, the client manages the progress. And in this approach, you expect the client to do the heavy lifting and you're there to facilitate the exploration. So it's kind of like, you know, the client is walking down a wilderness pathway and the coach who's been down this pathway many times is behind and blindfolded asking the new client who's experiencing this for the first time. What do you see? Where are you going? Where, what do we need to do to get to the place that you The coach knows it, but he's letting the client experience it through his own eyes. And when setting up a coaching program here, I encourage all CEOs to really have a strong uh, concept of this ownership of the client in the result process.
0: Mm, That's great. Michael, I want to say thank you for joining me uh, for this conversation. And uh, for all of you who are listening, I want to point out that Michael actually leads a convene team online, uh, which is especially useful for you who are running – company as a CEO or an owner, and you have to be on the road a lot and your schedule is really sporadic to be able to uh, join a couple of times a month and uh, uh, be wherever you are or wherever your travels are taking you as you do this. It's a great uh, piece uh, for you to consider. And uh, again, my thanks to you, Michael. We're going to put his uh, contact information on the bottom of the screen here as we end so that if you'd like to talk with him further about uh, coaching ethics, ethics in general when it relates to business, uh, any other general business matter, he's he's a great resource. I hope you reach out to him and want to wish you well and say thank you for listening. Goodbye.